Hi there! This is the PowerPoint Tribe, where our vibe is faith and our food is the Word. Prepare to be strengthened and encouraged through the teachings of God's Word and the ministry of the Spirit. Tell your neighbor, say doctrine. Don't get tired of saying these things, okay? <laughs> we'll say it as often as we are led, okay? Because it's important to keep these things in your heart. All right, as a lover of doctrine, you need to keep this thing in your heart. Tell your neighbor, say doctrine. It's more powerful than experience. Because doctrine can change your experience. Tell your neighbor, say doctrine. It's more powerful than miracles. Because doctrine can create an atmosphere for miracles. Tell another neighbor, say doctrine. It's more powerful than dogma. Because doctrine can change the heart and transform the mind. Tell your neighbor, say, I pay attention to doctrine. Tell him again, say, I pay attention to doctrine. Tell her, I have no itchy ears. Tell her that I'm in no hurry around doctrine. Tell him, say, I stay grounded in doctrine. Say this with love in your heart. Say, I love sound doctrine. <laughs> you guys, some of you are not saying it well. Some of, have you ever loved a woman before? Especially some of the guys here. Say, I love sound doctrine. No. <laughs> you love, praise God. You've never loved a woman. Let me see your hand. Never loved a lady. Loved. Never. These guys I'm talking to now. Ah, that was an MDR. Oh, well, sorry. Director AY. I can't believe that one. <laughs> I can't believe it. He's a soldier. <laughs> but even he has loved the woman. Even he. Even he has loved. So um, no sh nobody should be excused. So tell your neighbor, say again, I love sound doctrine. Then ask your neighbor, why? Why do you love sound doctrine so much? Tell them, because I'm a disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. Woo, glory to God. Disciples love doctrine. They love it. So after he's done teaching, all right, um, you know, the people, the disciples will gather and ask him, what do you, what did you mean when you said this, when you said that? Why did you say it like that? If you notice, Jesus was not, was not the one that, you know, initiated those conversations. It was the disciples. They wanted to know. They loved it. Because you're a disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ, you ought to love sound doctrine. Amen. I love it. I love it. Amen. Ooh. So let me start with giving you some historical perspective. In, the, in AD 140, 140 AD, there was a certain guy in the early church. His name was called Marcion. All right, Marcion. And then he started this, you know, heretical movement called Marcionism. Now, this movement was diametrically opposed to the idea of one God across the spectrum of Scripture. He sought to di divide and create a dichotomy between the Old Testament God and the New Testament God. His argument was that the Old Testament God was too aggressive and angry and bitter and envious and jealous, you know, and almost dyslexic. You know, he, he changes mood, he's irrational, unpredictable. He can just do stuff without any form of notice. And that that is not 
quite like how God should be. You know, he's the one, he's the one in custody of the expectations of God. He knows how God should act like. So he thought it wise to arrange the perception of God by the people that worship him. So he divided, all right, the gods of the old and the new, saying that the nice, pretty Jesus in the, you know, New Testament is actually the God that we should all serve, and that the purpose of that God, which is Jesus, was to usurp the original God, or well, the Yahweh God, the Jewish God. And this guy was obviously anti-Semitic. To be anti-Semitic means to have a strong prejudice against the Jewish people. So he didn't just do that, he also created a messianic canon. That is, he completely eliminated all the Old Testament books from that canon and then eliminated three of the synoptic gospels, well, including John now in that context. He only remained, he only re, uh, retained Luke being the only Gentile amongst those four. And then he only kept about 10 of Paul's writings, all right, and even edited some of the ones that he had kept to reflect his own ideology that, listen, the Jewish God is not God. All right, the Jewish God is not God. We, we prefer this hippie, you know, kind-hearted, nice, user-friendly Jesus. You know, let him be God. All right. And at the very core of this heretic slant is a problem with sin. It's a problem with sin. It's like, why is God so angry with sin? Like, why are you so obsessed with Purging and why are you so this whole holy thing? Why are you like this? Because every time God moved in anger, quote unquote, it was against the, you know, uh, should I say, obvious and apparent and show of iniquity, demonstration of sin. Do you understand why is he so resistant against things of that kind? Things like unrighteousness, iniquity, sin. And all that. So he's like, this God is not the kind of God we should have. That is, uh, God was made for man. And man likes sin. So God should start getting comfortable what man likes since God was made for man. Man was not made for God. So let's walk from man to God. Rather than from God to man. Do you see? So let's look at man. Let's look at his preferences and his ideology about how life should be governed. And then let's create a God in his image and after his own likeness will pamper man and keep him exactly in the spot that he likes. Let that person be God. But this one that is always angry at sin and error and all these things, this guy is not too much of a God. This is not the kind of God we want. So let's create a God and hold the courts to his pawn so that we can create a caricature of him. We can create a drama out of this God that we are the ones in absolute control of. You see, and of course, one of the arguments was that there was nothing in the Old Testament that depicted a loving God. So obviously, Marcion removed Jonah from Scripture. And quite honestly, I have read through Scriptures a number of times. I am yet to see a more graphic representation and demonstration of God's love than in the book of Jonah. I'm yet to see. Not even in the New Testament. I'm yet to see the kind of desperation God exemplified and showed in an attempt to save her people like he did in the book of Jonah. 
You see why you literally have to be blinded by the devil to not see the love of God in the Old Testament. It, the problem is with interpretation. They do not carry the writer of the scripture in reading the scripture. So they get angry based on their own understanding of goodness and begin to impose and induce into scripture. Not deduce. Induce into scripture what the scripture is not saying to them. And then they begin to create several sects of doctrinal slants and errors. And this is how it's been from several centuries before now. So heresy would always be one of those things that we would have to contend with as a church. And it's something that the church, every single generation, must be bold enough to address and not shy away from. So tell yourself, I love sound doctrine. So the idea that the God of the Old Testament is, you know, he has issues. He has multiple personality disorders. You know, one moment he's happy, the other moment he's, you know, we don't even know how to approach him. How did the likes of David crack it? How did the likes of Abraham crack it? Are they, are they apostles in the New Testament? Didn't they know God intimately in the old? These are the questions you should ask. Praise the name of the Lord. So the idea that, you know, and sometimes what we have is a diluted version of messianism, even in this time and age. Where they tell you, you know what, when you want to read the Bible, even sometimes I find myself recommending this, not because of the inaccuracy of the other parts of scripture but because of the simplicity of these ones that i'm recommending but a lot of people do it on a basis of the inferiority of the old testament so they tell you you know what crisscross the new testament like five times ratio five to one so read the new testament much more than you would ever attempt to read the old amen and their argument is that you see the old testament is really not for us ah! that you know what you just read it for the sake of history so that you know what happened before the new, but you live in the new. That is a diluted version of messianism. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it is profitable. From Genesis to Malachi, it's profitable. The profit is removed when you induce into scripture what the scripture is not telling you. You remove the profit from scripture. So you try to create a caricature of what you assume scripture should be saying. As if you are the scripture. You go to scripture with simplicity, with meekness. I do not know, Lord. Show me what you have said in your word. If you will go with the author of scripture, every scripture is profitable. Everyone, including the genealogy. They're all profitable. All scripture. So any attempt to try to magnify a portion of scripture over and above another is an attempt to become messianic. And what do I tell to messianic people? Messiano. Amen. I've rehearsed that for a while, so it's finally out. <laughs> Praise God. That's what I tell them. Mission, what all this? All scripture is given by inspiration. No such thing, exalting one part of scripture above the other. You compromise the one you left. The one that you have kept, now you have compromised it. By eliminating others. Because listen, when you, you see, when the Bible says, you know, Rightly dividing the word of truth. It's not because the word of God is divisive. It's not because God wants to introduce division into God's word. It's because, listen, for the word of God to make sense, it has to be divided and coupled together again. Because it is in the matter of two or three witnesses, cohesively, that a truth is established. That is, there must be divided versions that come together to form one. You don't remove one and completely eliminate it from the rest of the canon. It is no longer canon. 
It's not compromised. It's not a lie, a fabrication of a human endeavor to become the, the owner of a movement. Because that's what usually creates this kind of movement. Somebody wants to be the Jesus of his own movement. So he creates his own version and ideology that is different from the mainstream Christian heritage. Just in an attempt to be the God of that movement. Creating God after his own likeness. And in his own image. Because the book of Jonah is a book of love. I don't know how anyone can miss it. But if you read it with preconceived ideas and notions about God that was handed over to you through philosophy and some video you watched on YouTube. That's exactly what is going to happen. You will see God as a mean God. Amen. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Jonah. Jonah is just... Before John, in case you're looking for it, you know they are JJ, so they are just after the other. Amen. So when you've read a part of scripture a lot, that part should be dirty. <laughs> so by, that, by this time, once you open that part, you should just open to Jonah because you've opened that part so much, the strip should be looking like you've been using it for a bit. All right, Jonah chapter 3. I encourage you to share the link to this service with your friends. If you have not done that already, I invite them. I welcome everyone watching online. I celebrate you. Amen. Hallelujah. Lord, as we get into your word this morning, I ask that everyone is blessed, that if I had strengthened and encouraged through the teaching of your word and the ministration of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. And the word of the Lord came again unto Jonah. The second time. The second time. This, I couldn't get past this. I couldn't get past it. But God will speak to someone a second time. You know, God could have made a boast and say things like, I don't speak twice, I hope you know. The Lord speaks once. It reverberates for all eternity. It's echo. The rest of the things you are hearing is echo. It's not me that said it again. I speak once. Twice you hear it. That all power belongs to me. Alright? But why would God speak to a man again? Let me use this example. Back to Director Ewai. And others. <laughs> Have you ever asked the lady out before? You've asked the lady out before. Let me see your hands up. Come on. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. See, that's one of those. You have to do it. You just have to. It's just one of those things that a man has to do. <laughs> you just have to. So you ask a lady out. Then this lady insults you. You know, insults you, finishes you. Then in order to mock you and rub salt on the injury, he now goes to someone that she, or she goes to someone that she considers to be better than you. Say so you're in the same class, right? He now goes to some other guy in the same class with you that she considers to be far better than you and joins herself up with him just to spite you even more. Do you consider 
the possibility of asking her out again? Will you consider the possibility of asking her out again? What would you rather, what would your next strategy be? You want to go and import the most beautiful girl on that campus into your class. Make sure she's your girlfriend. So that both of you now, with that beautiful girl, you now become the next couple goals instead of those people, just to spite her as well, right? That's what the flesh wants to do. So can you imagine that after somebody has insulted you, abused you, and he didn't just say no to your proposal, he goes in the exact opposite direction of what you asked him to do. And then you go back again to ask him, will you still marry me? Can you still marry me? Now, that is a man who is not all-powerful. A man who cannot just decide to kill the person that said no to him. He's a man at the end of the day. Even a man will not sacrifice his ego and his pride for another attempt at marriage that could end with a higher degree of insult. So he would say, you know what? It's better to have my respect and dignity intact than to risk losing it the second time over someone who does not even value me as much. That's the story of God and Jonah. God went back to a man to beg him again. Will you go again, please? Just go the second time. Go the second time. And this is a, a lesson to every one of us here who say, you know, they're in love. If you have not sacrificed your pride on the altar of love, you are not yet inside it. Please say, I love you. You are not yet inside. Love must cost you your pride and your ego. It must. So you say you're in a relationship and you have never sacrificed your pride and your ego for the person you say you love. You don't love that person. You are manipulating that person. That's simple as that. Remember the Syrophoenician woman. She came to Jesus. She said, I, I just want my daughter to be healed. And Jesus, quote unquote, mocked her, abused her, degraded her humanity, called her a dog. She looked at what Jesus said. She said, ah, and me? Now, she could have said that. She could have said, me? You call me a dog? Do you know where I work? Do you know who I work with? Do you know the people that I have in my corner? Do you know I have boys? I, I could call any one of them now. Is it because I'm asking you for healing, small healing? Do you know how many people can heal me in this land? You are now calling me a dog. She could have responded like that. Magnified her own heritage and dignity. But lose her child. She looked at the possibility of having a dead child and an intact dignity. She said, well, who dignity help? I'm a dog, sir. I'm a dog. Which type do you want me to be now? Which type? I'm a dog. Because even the dogs. You know, she had to enter into the experience of a dog. Ah! Don't you understand? She didn't just say it because it was off the cuff. She, she wasn't expecting Jesus to speak to her in that way. She just came and said, I need healing for my child. And then Jesus said, you're a dog. And she enters into character. I'm a dog, sir. Think about it. She didn't say, let me come back and give you a feedback. She just entered into the character. Yes, so in fact, a dog will typically be waiting on the children's bread 
Whichever one falls to the ground, he heats it up. I'm a dog. So if the children are finished eating, at least a crumb will fall. And the crumb is sufficient for healing. That crumb is sufficient. I, I look forward to getting that crumb. Ah! Jesus looked at her and said, ah, ah, I've been walking through the land of Israel for a while. I have not seen any faith of this stature. That faith was so strong because the humility was so deep. The humility was so deep. She was willing to sacrifice her dignity and her pride and her ego and her self-respect for the love of her child. That's exactly what Jesus did or what God did. Why, why would God be insisting on a reprobate Jonah? Why? Because that was God's only chance at saving Nineveh. So even if you insult me, don't worry. I'll get into the fish, get you out. Will you still go for me? I don't have any other option. Only a man can preach to another man. Do you know how many thousands of angels he has that he could send? If angels were the ones preaching the gospel, do you think you have the liver to say no? If angels were the ones preaching gospel, before you enter your house, the angel will just stand. Do you know how tall an angel is? You're about to knock and you just see an angel. Give your life to Christ now. <laughs> Remember Zachariah? He didn't, he didn't preach the gospel. He just brought the message. The, the guy was looking like he was about to doubt. He said, you want to doubt me? I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. He said, for a season, you will not speak. I'm Gabriel. Imagine if angels were the ones communicating the gospel. The whole world would be saved. Ah, angels, they don't have time. They don't have time. Jesus came to die. You say you will not collect his, his gift? That's the truth. Imagine if it were angels that were preaching the gospel. But angels are not the ones preaching the gospel. Because God doesn't want coerced people in his kingdom. Only a man can preach the gospel. Even a reprobate man. And God was still trying to get him the second time. Come and preach to these people. I love these people. And you would imagine that he was talking about a people that were deserving. A people that were deserving of the gospel, isn't it? I love these people. They are the people of my heritage. They are my people. He's talking about Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, the headquarters of bloodshed and iniquity, violence, hard cries, murders, corruption. Prostitution, sorcery. Go and read it. Sorcery. This was the headquarters. Assyria was a nation that was vowed against the children of Israel. When you would say anti-Semitic, that is Assyria. That is Nineveh. And these were the people God was willing to allow his reputation just go down the drain for. Remember what Romans chapter 5 from verse 5 says. 5 downwards. He says... From verse 5, it says, the love of God has shed a burden in our heart by the Holy Ghost. He now begins to say from verse 6, it says, when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. He says, scarcely for a righteous man will anyone attempt to die. He says, maybe this guy was the best of men. If this person is a good man, this guy is a good man. Ah! Remember how a, a lady over the week hailed her husband. Amen. How many of you saw that tweet? Even my head was swelling on the man's behalf. The woman held him. 
that, that, that in her own estimation, a good man. Bible says even for a good man, someone will at least attempt to die. He says, but we're none of these things. We're none of these things. We're not a good man. We're not a righteous man. He says, but God commended his love towards us. If he commended it after we became good, that would not be commending. That would just be acting logically. God commended his love towards us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died. He says, see, I want to save you, but you can't even know. You, you don't even, you may never know what I did. But let me just do it first. Let me first die. You may never know what I did, but let me just die first. Not because you are deserving, but because I love you. So, this Nineveh is a repli- representation of the world, which you used to be part of. You used, that was your address. You stayed and lived in Nineveh. And that was the reason why Jonah was feeling so aggrieved. And we'll get to those areas at some point. That was why Jonah was so aggrieved. Is it these people that you want to save? These people, I know what they have done. The next time you look at a person in authority and you want to curse that person, understand that that is self-righteousness at work. Understand that. So when I say we should repent, it's not just a thing of the knees and and the mouth. It's a thing of the heart. Because self-righteousness begins with you assuming that some people are more deserving of hell than you are. Some people are more deserving of judgment and justice. Because you deserve mercy and goodness. They, they deserve hell. Wow. Praise the name of the Lord. The title of my teaching this morning is Nine Yards. Nine Yards. The length God went. The distance. This is a God that can slap Jonah into into paralysis and nothingness, God is, is, is appealing to Jonah. Appealing. Appealing. Will you go the second time? I don't speak twice, but yeah, I, I'm ready to speak 10,000 times because I don't have any other choice. I will speak to you again and again and again. And that tells you how many sons are lacking in God's kingdom. The people in Nineveh were 120,000. And the only option God had to save them was a reprobate Jonah. Why would God be dealing with Jonah? What all this nonsense? This is God. Imagine a third party observing that kind of conversation. This is God we're talking about. Are you okay? God is telling you the first time. He put you inside hell. He brought you out. He's still coming to tell you and you're still uh, grudgingly. Are you, are you okay? This is God. Oh. And God is just waiting for your heart to be right. You want your heart to be right. And it, Jonah didn't go because he loved the Lord. He didn't go because he wanted to please the Lord. He went because he remembered how horrible the smell of the intestine of the whale is. And I don't want to go back there. He went more for self-preservation than for pleasing God. He didn't want to go back to hell. Because we we see that there there are degrees to this thing. From rebellion, he didn't move to repentance. He went to compliance. There is a difference. Compliance is not repentance. Are you hearing what I'm saying? God will tell you to do something, and you will just do it and say, I've done it. Mm -mm. That's compliance. That's not repentance. Your heart follows suit in repentance. Jonah's heart didn't follow his hands. 
His heart didn't follow his mouth. His heart didn't follow his legs. He just went to do what the Lord told him to do, but his heart was never in it. And it was reflected in the way he presented the gospel. So look at what the Bible says in Jonah chapter 3. From verse 2, the Bible says, God speaking, he said, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it. The preaching that I bid thee. The preaching that I bid thee. Now, of course, in the Old Testament, like I said, the first installment or second, I can't remember now, how that the strategy for getting souls converted back then was to paint a vivid picture of their wickedness to them. Right now, what God does is to lead men to repentance through his goodness. So the preaching that he bid us to preach is a different type of preaching. It is not fire and brimstone. It is not turn or burn. Let's go there in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Glory to Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I'm sure we all know verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Verse 18. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself. Oh, glory to God. He hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. And hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. He has given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was inside Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. Not imputing their trespasses unto them. So the gospel to the people of Nineveh is that yes, you have sinned, but God is not imputing your trespasses unto you. He has carried all the consummate energy of all the iniquity that you have committed all these years. He has placed it upon Jesus. And in Christ, he has reconciled us to himself. Wow. Not imputing their trespasses unto them. And has committed unto us only the word of reconciliation. Not the word of explanation about their iniquity. Not the word of, watch out, do you know how wrong it is? In the list of sins, this is number two. This one is very heavy. And you're explaining and you're explaining. That's not what they need. It's called the word of reconciliation. So this, there's a part of scripture that people read and then they believe that, you see. And that's why they run to town saying things like, once you're saved, you're forever saved. You know, because all your sins, past, present, and future, has been forgiven. You see, uh, I hope the Lord will give us the time. But let me just show you something here. It's true and it's not true. Let me explain that to you. God, in Jesus Christ, he had already dealt with all the sins of all dispensations. All dispensations. Let me show you how he did it. Hebrews chapter 9. I'm going to go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 9. From verse 24, the Bible says that for Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the very presence of God for us. Amen. Now, not yet, nor yet that he should offer himself often, as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he have often have suffered. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. 
But now, once, in the end of the world. Ah. So you thought Jesus died 2,000 years ago. This part of scripture tells us where he died. He died historically 2,000 years ago. He died spiritually at the end of the age. Did you hear what I just said? In fact, he died in three dispensations. He died before the foundation of the world. He died historically 2,000 years ago. And then he died spiritually at the end of the world. Because if he did not die at the end of the world, he would have had to continue to die for every successive new scene that any new person who is introduced into this world sings. So, the only way his blood is still relevant over you, who were just born some 13 years ago, <laughs> just kidding, is because his blood back then was a representation that was going to com completely assuage the demands of justice for all time and dispensations. So Jesus died historically 2,000 years ago, but he died actually, spiritually, at the end of the world. Such that he died when the whole consummate sin had been calculated. All times, everybody that has ever lived and that will ever live, he calculated all their sins. That is, the sins of everybody that is yet to be born today. Up until the time that Jesus will show up. Hallelujah. He calculated all their sins. And the Bible says he appeared at the end of the world. And he says, how much? How much? How much does this sin cost? How much? And then he died at that point. And fully satisfied the demands of justice. At that point. This is why all your sins, past, present, and future, as a dispensation, are forgiven. Do you understand now? So this is the scripture here, right? He says, but now once in the end of the world, as he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of itself, of himself. And Bible says, and as it is appointed unto every man to die once. So he couldn't be dying every year. He had to die once and for all, for all times and dispensations. So he didn't die 2,000 years ago. Historically, yes, but he died at the end of the world. He appeared at the end of the world, calculated the sins of all humanity for all times and dispensations, and paid the price with his blood. That is why you can lay hold on forgiveness today, even though he died 2,000 years ago. So the Bible says, Christ once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall, shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So, he died for all dispensations. But he did not die for you to be presumptuously sinning. Do you understand what I'm saying? He didn't die for you to keep taking for granted the blood of Jesus that saved you. Because that is what you do when you now say, you know what, he has cuckoo died in advance. So why waste the, the money he has spent? Let me use it and let me sin enough to exhaust the, the, the offerings and the cover for sin. That is you treading underfoot the sacrifice of the Son of God and nailing him back to the cross afresh because you have not magnified that sacrifice. You have not magnified it. You have, you have taken it for granted. Let's use it now. 
But that, that is not the sign of sons. I remember I, I shared this story before. And I'll just share it again for the purpose of those who may not have heard it before. How that a woman gave birth to a son and her son was born without eyes. And then this woman who obviously had her own set of eyes looked at the doctor and said, what can we do? She was devastated. How can my son be born without a set of eyes? And this woman is so distraught and she looks at the, the doctor and says, what can we do? And then the doctor says, well, there's something we can do. She calls him or he calls her into a, his office and he begins to tell her, you know what, this is, it's, it's an incredible option, but I don't know if it's possible. You, you, the only option we have here is for a donor to show up and give, you know, this guy his or her own set of eyes. He said, oh, oh, really? And as she goes, she thinks about it, she comes back and she says, you know what, I've agreed to donate my set of eyes for my son. And then, of course, you know, the, the, the operation goes smoothly. And then this guy was born, of course, you know, he assumes he has always had that set of eyes from birth. So he keeps living his life. And, of course, his mom didn't tell him exactly what she did. He just grew up meeting a blind mom as his mom. And so every once in a while, she would go to school with a walking stick, go and check up on him. What, what, uh, where's my son? Have you seen my son today? And this guy is getting embarrassed by the constant show up of this woman in his school. Like, why are you embarrassing me? I'm toasting a babe now. You're coming with your blind eye, coming to embarrass someone and spoil my runs. I'm not liking this. So every attempt he got, once he left, you know, um, university was out and leave the mom. So he left and just created a new world entirely outside of her presence. And of course, this woman will send letters and send letters and send letters and send letters. He won't reply, but he will read them. He won't, he won't reply. And then after a while, she began to fall ill and she got sick, very sick. And of course, at some point, she heard that he had gotten married, he had children. So he will, she will send letters. How are my children doing? How is my wife? You know, the way the African mother will say it, you know, and all that. And, of course, she was going to pass away, and she sent a last letter. And at the end of that letter, she just writes, Please take very good care of my eyes, because it is through you that I see the world. And for the first time, this guy realizes her sacrifice. And then the next available flight, he runs down to her and says, Where's mama? Where's mama? Mama is gone. What happened? What changed? Mama did not become suddenly visually aided. She was still blind. But what changed his reaction and his response to her was his knowledge of what she did. Now, will that knowledge make him to start taking the eyes for granted? No. It is in honor of the sacrifice that she will, he will ensure that everything to protect the integrity of that sacrifice, he will do it. The reason why some people will begin to lie, or, or, or what's the word now? Begin to rely on the fact that God has paid the price for all dispensation and continue to sin is because they never understood the purpose of their salvation in the first place. They never did. They don't understand it and they don't understand the weight of the sacrifice. Sin, sin, this sin was what killed Jesus. This sin, this sin that you are playing with and toying with is what sent Jesus to the cross. If this sin did not exist, Jesus would not have died. Do you respect the, the, the understanding that this is divinity we are talking about? This is not some guy. This is not some human being. This is God becoming flesh because of your sin. Then he washes you of your sin. Then you go back to the mire and continue to play with it. After all, he has paid for it. Such people are not even deserving of the salvation to start with. Do you see what I'm saying? This sin sent him to the cross. So you receive the gift of righteousness. And you say, oh yeah, let's go back. 
to the mire. You look unto him. You don't look back unto partition. Unto him. So this is just to give you context that listen, don't be afraid. Yes, it has been resolved. Your sins. But your goal and your desire is not to exhaust the insurance cover. Your goal is to get the work done. The work of serving the living God. Doing the will of God. He has purged your conscience of dead works. So that you can serve the living God. So that you can have the power to say yes, Lord. It's not a possibility for anyone who is not saved. Nobody can do the will of God. You really think you can just come and do the will of God. You can't do it in the energy of the flesh. The arm of flesh shall fail. It is by the grace of God. And that is why the Bible says he is still an intercessor till today and forever. He's still interceding. God, the grace that the blood supplies, let them receive of that token and do the will of God. That's why he keeps interceding. Then you carry his intercession, you are using it to eggs. I don't get it. The intercession that he's still doing current. Bible says, he, therefore, he is able to save them unto the uttermost because he ever liveth to make intercession. Intercession for them. So the reason why you can be saved when he eventually shows up in his glory is because he interceded you into salvation. That is from the beginning of your salvation experience up until he takes you up into glory. It was all by him. So you think you are living a holy life because you, you can be holy. You, you, your gift is to be holy. There's no such thing. His intercession is why you can be. If he stops to intercede for you, you can't. It is only by the grace of God. So he's still living. He's still living for you. He didn't sit down and say, well, job done for the rest of my life. No. He ever liveth to make intercessions for you. And that is why the Bible says he's able to save you. Hebrews chapter 7, I believe from verse 25 there about. He's able to save you unto the uttermost. Unto the uttermost. Unto the uttermost. That is, he does not do half jobs. So anyone who gets saved and goes back to Maya, that one is not a candidate for the uttermost. He saves unto the uttermost till he shows up. So he gets you saved. He gets you sustained on the faith lane. He's the one that comes back and rips you like the harvester. Praise God. He rips you. And it is all by his grace. Salvation from end to end. End to end by the grace of God. Anyone who gets into dead works and begins to use salvation once and forever saved as the cushion to continue to continue in sin does not understand the first thing about salvation. That is the person who is relying on the arm of flesh. That's not the person who is magnifying the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's the person who is, who is not smart, who does not understand the power of redemption. It's to purge your conscience from dead works so that the things that you used to find attractive will no longer be attractive to you. That you watch a movie for two hours, you begin to feel like, there's nothing wrong with this movie, but it's not just expedient. Because at the level of Christian growth, it's no longer sin or no sin. It's the matter of expedience. Ah, expediency. You know what expediency is? All things are lawful. There's nothing wrong with watching a movie. There's nothing wrong with watching a movie for three, four hours. You worked that hard, it's okay. Alright? So watch the movie. But is it expedient? Expediency talks about use, value, conversion. What is this converting to? What is the expedience of this? It's not about the legalistic idea of lawfulness. That there's nothing wrong inside it. You're not beginning to explain it. Okay, after you have finished explaining it, who was blessed by the watching of this movie? 
How were you inspired? How did you receive revelation knowledge? How did you grow? How did you become better? So all things are lawful. And if you are arguing about lawfulness, you can't, I can't win you because it's lawful. I'm not trying to convert you from, you know, a bit of lawfulness to a little bit less of law. No, 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 no. That's not the conversation. The conversation, can you begin to move from lawfulness to expediency? Can you begin to move from lawfulness to expediency? Paul said it. All things are lawful. But two million people may not be saved if I continue watching. Do you understand? What is the expediency of my action? Opportunity cost. That is how an apostle thinks. That's how a disciple thinks. That is, this blood must not go in vain. I, I, will, I will, to the degree that God will give me capacity, ensure that everybody that could hear the gospel of my lips hears it. That is expediency. That is expediency. Bible says, God allocated Jonah to a great city. To a great city. Bible says, a great city. A city that you couldn't work in a day. A great city. Three days of trekking. He couldn't cover the entire expanse. That means every single one of us has a great city allocated to us. But we are attempting, trying so hard to live a soft life. God is saying, go in the direction of greatness. You say, no, I want to limit the scope of the glory of God upon my life in just living a soft life. That is the least thing you can do with your destiny. To live, be comfortable, have your wife and children secure, travel for vacation a couple of times. You think that's the essence of your life? That's not the ROI God is expecting from your life. Just so that you can be fine and okay, no. Some other lives should and must be saved because you existed. Because you are here on earth. And God sent you into a great city. You say, no, Joppa is a resting place. God forbid. A great city would languish in penury and perish off the face of the earth if you do not show up in that city. 120,000 people. 120,000 people. So it's a matter of experience. What is God going to reap from my enlisting in his service? From me enlisting in his service, what will he gain? That's my goal. That's my target. I will ensure that his purpose for enlisting me doesn't go unaccomplished. Not give him excuses why, ah, Joppa is not the safest, I mean, rather, Nineveh is not the safest place, so they can begin to cast spells on me. Now, you know, they are very good in sorcery. They are very violent people. And you begin to explain reasons why they don't deserve. Praise the name of the Lord. Are we still together? So what did God tell Jonah? And you must interpret it in the light of the New Testament. What is he telling you today? He says, go and preach unto it. The preaching. That I bid thee. Not the preaching that you think is right. However, even those that are preaching what, they, what you think is not right, at least they are preaching. Remember what Paul said in Philippians chapter 1. He said, listen, whether they preach out of envy, strife, or even pretense, he said, it does not matter. The most important thing is that Christ is preached. Christ is preached. So you say, you are not supposed to be using hell to preach. Are you preaching anything? There are still better candidates of salvation and for the use of getting other people saved than you. Who is keeping quiet and analyzing everybody that is preaching? So this one is, this is not to, this is not to present the gospel. Are you presenting it at all? Because God is waiting on a man. Any kind of dysfunctional mouth, he will use it. If he could use Jonah, he will use any mouth. Just to get the people saved. Jonah did not intend for the people to be saved. A heartless preaching, don't you understand? A preaching that did not have his heart inside still got 120,000 people saved. How much more a heart that is imbued in the presence of God? How much more a heart that really yearns after the things of the Spirit? How much more? A Jonah that he really did not desire God preached the message, and even the goats gave their lives to Christ. 
Everything, everything, everything was saved. Everything, every single thing. How desperate God is to save man. Desperate. The word is not just he wants to, he's desperate. God desperately wants to get as many people as he wants saved, saved. Every single person. Every single person. But the people who are supposed to be his heralds, who are supposed to go about spreading that gospel. Bible says he has called us into the ministry of reconciliation. No, our own ministry is the ministry of soft life. And whether you like it or not, everything around you is suggesting it to you. You deserve to live a soft life. It has become the mantra for so many products and services now. You deserve to be taken care of. There's no need for responsibility. There's no need for hard work. Just live a soft life. So you use it to justify everything you are doing. So let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 5. If you're not ready for the truth, this church is not for you. I'm just telling you now. War against false, falsehood. War against it. Alright? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Bible says from verse 19, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed unto us the ministry and the word of reconciliation. He says, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. That's your responsibility. That's your status. That's your designation. God looks at you and he says, I'm an ambassador. Ooh, you're an ambassador. What is the quality of an ambassador? He knows everything there is to know, including the landmass of his, where he came from. Of his hometown or his home nation. He knows it. Including the landmass, the population. Every single dimension of knowledge that he ought to know about where he came from. He knows it. Even though he's in another land. You are in the world but you are not of the world. And everything about the world you came from you ought to know by heart. And what is your responsibility? To preach that gospel. He says now we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. So look at God using your vocal cords to beseech people and say, be reconciled. Be reconciled. How will God do it? Look at how he, he cajoled Jonah. He begged Jonah. He came the second time. Even after he was rejected the first time, he came again. Because he didn't have any other option to save the people of Nineveh. So he had to just go back and use Jonah just like that. And the Bible says he's using your vocal cords to beseech people. And says, be reconciled. How will he do it? If God was using your mouth, using your legs, using your hands, using your status, using your vocal cords, using your gifts and talents, how will he do it? How? He says, listen. Ah! God did this by you. He says, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled. He says, for he hath made him to be sin. Who knew no sin? That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's the good news. That don't worry about all the sins. Just receive him. Repent and be baptized. We'll get there. We'll get there. And that baptism, we'll get there. All right? That's the next bus stop. We'll get there. Because he says, the preaching that I've given you, even though any preaching will work, don't worry. But there's a preaching that I've given you to preach. There is a type of preaching. Praise the name of the Lord. And he says, it is being an ambassador. Communicating reconciliation. Communicating that you know what? All the trespasses and sins that you thought God will count in your own charge. He says no, he has laid it upon him. No one can lay a charge on God's elect anymore. Nobody can lay that charge. He has already taken up that charge and placed it upon himself. And he fully satisfied the requirements of the law. The problem of the Jews is that they are not willing to allow somebody else to carry their loads. That's the problem. They want to be the one to satisfy the requirements of the law on their own behalf. And this is why Paul was speaking in Romans chapter 10. He says, my prayer for Israel is that they may be saved. 
How can you say Israel, the sponsor of salvation themselves, they were the ones through whom Christ came. They themselves were the least to get saved. How? How can the people who are, uh, remember Uzzah, I was sharing this with the leaders the other day. Uzzah, some of you, you just think, oh, God is just very funny. How can you kill the person I was trying to assist you? Abi? remember Uzzah now? So at the threshing floor, the thing just shook. And Uzzah, ah, let me help this guy. And then God killed him. And you're wondering, why did God kill Uzzah? Because, listen, that ark was inside his father's house. All right? Abinadab. For 20 years, this guy was close to the ark. But he did not know the next thing about the ark. He didn't know anything about the ark. He didn't understand the protocol of priestly service. He didn't understand it. Even though he was in church, he didn't understand God. Even though he, he, he could speak Christianese, he really was not close to God. Even though he stayed around church people, but he himself was not part of the body of Christ. So he was so familiar with the ark, he said, this thing, this thing, I beg, don't fall, Jerry, let me just help you. It was the heart with which he did it. The fact that he was over familiar with the thing that can literally bless a whole nation. This is the ark of the very presence of God we're talking about here. And you just casually try to assist it because you are bereft of the understanding of how priestly service is done. Even David had forgotten the protocol. He was creating a new, new machinery to carry the ark of God. It's not about that. It is shoulders that must carry it. Shoulders. Shoulders of Levites and not just Levites. Priests that will carry that ark. It's not anything that you have fabricated from your own ideology of what excellence looks like. And what excellence should be. God should be hosted in a very a more glamorous. No. He wants to be hosted in your heart. Praise the name of the Lord. And so Uzzah held on to what he should have just allowed. Ah, he should have just allowed it though. You don't help God though. In this case, you don't help God. He got over familiar. And that was the sin of the Jews as well. So we have Abraham as our father. We are automatically saved because of our link in our heritage to Abraham. Oh, how wrong. So we, we, know, we know the Lord. We can never be unsaved. We are already part of the stock. Uh, and, and, and the Lord made it very clear. I can remove that branch and graft in a wild olive. You are thinking this is your father's property. You are omonile in common cause salvation. Omonile. You can't do that. You receive it with grace for the rest of your life. And so, um, Bible says, Paul speaking, that my prayer for Israel is that they may be saved. He says, for I bear them record that they have a zeal, but not according to knowledge. He says, because they were ignorant of the righteousness that is of God. He says, they went about to establish their own righteousness. And refusing to submit to the righteousness of God. Because Christ is the end of the law to all them that believe. So they wanted to be the one to satisfy the demands of the law for themselves. So hell is for those who want to pay their own fine by themselves. They are not willing to allow somebody to take the, take the credit and the glory for their salvation. I want to be the one to save myself through my works. Which the Bible calls dead works. And so they say we are not going to submit to the righteousness of God. We would establish our own methodology of righteousness. And in that righteousness, in that methodology, there's no need for submission because it's your righteousness. Once you misbehave and you fall short of the standard that you have already created, you create another standard now. You create a new goalpost. You know, you, you, you shoot and then wherever the ball lands, that's where the goalpost will end up. That's, there's no standard in that. You're not willing to submit. So the problem of the Jews is pride. They're not willing to allow somebody else be the dictator 
of their lives. They're not willing to allow somebody else be the Lord of their lives. Praise the name of the Lord. Are we blessed? Apologies. Okay. So the challenge. So they wanted to establish their own righteousness. And so they were not willing to do that. And that was the problem of Jonah as well. All right? It is that self-righteousness. That sense of, you know what? I am the one to determine what is right and wrong. There is no God that should be sitting over my head as a judge. Praise the Lord. Let's try not to be distracted. Okay? So, um, that was the sin of the Jews. Just go to Romans chapter 10 because there are still some interesting things to share from Romans chapter 10. So it begins to say, For I bear them record in verse 2 that they have a zeal, amen, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of the righteousness of God, goes about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted unto the righteousness that is of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. Praise the name of the Lord. But they were not willing to do that, so they wanted to be the one to pay for their own iniquity. Their own blood and sweat, which is God's enemy. All right, and that rubbed birth hypocrisy and Pharisees and all of those type of sects. Praise the name of the Lord. So we see in in Jonah chapter three, God is telling Jonah, He says, "Go and preach unto that city the preaching that I bid thee." That is, there is a preaching that God has told everybody to preach. Not your preaching, not the preaching of turn of words, not the preaching of condemnation. He says, "There is a preaching that people, you know what, be reconciled. For God has made him to be sin. He will do no sin." So that you can become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So exalt the sacrifice of Jesus and give them the opportunity to receive it as a gift. It is not something they can deserve. You can't work hard enough to earn salvation. You can't do good enough to earn salvation. You can't. You've got to believe into salvation. You've got to believe into salvation. Praise the name of the Lord. This preaching is a special type of preaching. So let's go to Mark chapter 16. Because we need to understand this. I'll need a few extra minutes. Amen. Mark chapter 16 from verse 15. Very important because we're about to do some exegesis here now. Mark chapter 16 from verse 15. Bible says, go ye into all the world and preach. This is the gospel that he has beat us to preach, isn't it? He told Jonah, go and preach unto this great city, the preaching that I beat thee. And this is the preaching that he has bidden us in the New Testament to preach. He says, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. From verse 16, he says, he that believeth. Now, he now introduces a very interesting co- concept. He says, and he's baptized, shall be saved. Hmm. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believes not shall be damned. Hmm. He that believes, and why, why didn't he just say he that believes shall be saved? He says, he that believes and is baptized. This is where some people got the idea from that, you see, you have to be water baptized before you are saved. But that's not the baptism he's referring to here. Are we still together, guys? Aha, uh-huh. because we need to get a little deeper now. Matthew, so let's understand what that baptism is. Huh? So you need to follow me here. Matthew chapter 28. There is a preaching. 
there is a type of preaching. <laughs> Ooh, glory to God. From verse 19, he says, go ye therefore. This is the baptism. Not just he that believes alone, but he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Because we can believe and not be saved. Because remember John chapter 8. We'll get there. He says in verse 19, go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them. Oh, do you see that? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Teaching them. This is how to baptize. He's explaining how to baptize. How do you baptize? Teaching them to observe. Oh, praise God. All things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you even till the very end of the world. So baptism is teaching. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He says, this is how to baptize. Remember in Mark 16, he just said, go preach to them. Those that believe and are baptized shall be saved. What is this baptism? Matthew chapter 28 explains it to us. He says, go ye therefore preach to every creature. And he begins to say, all right, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. He says, this is the baptism. Baptism is not dipping into water and bringing them up again. No, 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 no. He says, listen, you need to teach them. You don't see water here. There's no water here. He's saying teaching. That's how you baptize. Are you with me? Did I confront someone's theology now? All right? But this is scripture. I didn't create that. All right? He says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. That is what it means to be baptized. Because even this teaching and the ability to do it is still by the work of grace. It is God that is at work in you both to do and to will of his good pleasure. But he says, teaching. So let's go somewhere deeper again. Ezekiel chapter 36. So that you understand that this baptism is not complete until Ezekiel chapter 36 is activated. Ezekiel chapter 36. Oh, praise God. Ezekiel chapter 36 from verse 25. He says, listen, oh. Then I will sprinkle clean water upon you. What is clean water? We said that last week. What's the clean water? Say it now, say it. Aha! Uh -huh. That's the word. He said, I will sprinkle clean water upon you. And ye shall be clean. And remember, John 15, now you are clean. By the word of God which I have spoken unto you. He says, listen, I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean from all your filthiness, and from all your idols will I cleanse you. Selfishness is the PR system of the devil. I would explain what I mean. Every time you make a decision just for self-preservation, you are serving the devil. The devil will not come to you with honor and all that and say, serve me. Every he has sent his own mission, missionary into your heart, which is your, your flesh, your flesh. Every time you do anything in sponsoring the desires of that flesh, that is idolatry. No, but you won't go and worship Orumila and see the devil in front of you and worshiping him. But he has sent his own missionary and emissaries into your heart in the place of self and the flesh. All right? That is idolatry. <laughs> Ooh, glory to God. All right? He says, listen, I will cleanse you from all your idols. I will cleanse you. And it is by baptizing you. By sprinkling clean water upon you. By teaching you God's word. He says in verse 26, this thing will result. Because you can believe and you don't have a new heart yet. Did I just break another table now? Haven't you seen people who believe their heart is not yet new? It's still stone. Kunta like this. They say they believe. But their heart is still strong. God cannot use it. God cannot tell them to do something and they do it. They will still be arguing with God. 
they will generalize their relationship with God. All right, generalization of things. Amen. <laughs> PD. <laughs> At the rate of PD. All right? That's the generalization of things. They don't have a new heart. So it says, a new heart also will I give unto you. And a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. And I will give you the heart of flesh. And he says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you. Ah! And cause you. That is, that spirit will cause you to walk in my statutes. And ye shall keep my judgment. Remember, teaching them to observe all things. Whatsoever I have commanded you. For I am with you, low till the end of age. This is what it means to baptize. Until you are caused. Higher. Until you are caused to walk in all his statutes. And to obey all his judgments. Baptism has not happened. Baptism has not happened. Baptism is the, is the imbuement in the spirit and in the cloud of his glory. Where you can't do anything outside of the promptings of the spirit. Everything you are doing is at his instance. Not at the instance of your flesh. Joppa will scream all at once. You won't even notice it. They will be trying to advertise the flesh. You won't even notice. Because you are under the cloud. That is what it means to be baptized into Moses. Remember? That is how they were baptized under Moses. The devil is a what? <laughs> don't worry. This is not the devil. Don't worry. It's just <laughs> appliances. Doing what appliances do. All right. And I will put my spirit within them and cause you to walk in my statutes. And he shall keep my judgments and he shall do them. So when the Bible says he will save you unto the uttermost, this is what he's talking about. He doesn't just want you to believe on him. He wants you to, by you continuing to listening, listen to him, he saves you to the uttermost. Through baptism. So he that believes and is baptized will be saved to the uttermost. Remember John chapter 8 and verse 31. Bible says he spoke to them that already believed. They already believed. He says if you continue in my word. If you will get baptized. And not just be assuming that because you've been baptized with water. That it is a symbol. It is something that speaks to something deeper. So John the Baptist will baptize you and sprinkle you with water. Signifying something deeper. It's a teaching. It's discipleship. He that believes and is baptized. He that believes and is baptized. So you may say you believe in this house today, but are you baptized? You believe, I come to church. That's not what I'm saying. Are you baptized? Are you observing all things whatsoever he commands? That's baptism. That's baptism. Where the heart of stone that will do what it wants to do will be turned into flesh at your will, O oh God. All right? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So your heart must be turned to the heart of flesh. So when they say, God said we should do this, you do it. Heart of stone is what will make you say, I'm not coming, sir. If Pastor Damu likes, he should assault and enter my room and say, come for outreach. I will not come. It's heart of stone. But there needs to be a heart of flesh, malleable, that can be easily bended. Wow. Praise God. Hallelujah. So he says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in all my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. That is what it means to be baptized. Huh? Let's go to Galatians chapter 3. Sweet word, Abby. <laughs> That's what it means to be baptized. 
So I've like, not been baptized. What are you feel you are not baptized? No. Are you receiving the teaching and doing it? That's what it means to be baptized. The other one can be fine. You don't, you don't worry about that one. That's a symbol of a greater thing. Don't hold on to the symbol and be losing the experience and say, oh, at least I've been sprinkled with water, so I'm fine. No. If you're not receiving the teaching and the, and the baptism, then you have not been baptized, even though water has been sprinkled. Galatians chapter 3. Say, I love sound doctrine. <laughs> Galatians chapter 3, from verse 26. The Bible says, for you all are children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized. Aha. Uh -huh. You see again. By faith in Christ Jesus, you were born again. And then it says, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. That means you can't be baptized and not put on Christ. I would explain it. When you are baptized into Christ, what that will do to you, it will, it will make you put on Christ. You can be in Christ and you have not put on Christ. <laughs> Amen. This is scripture. You put on Christ. You can have the garment and not wear it. A lot of who are born again, they are not putting on Christ. Because they have not been baptized. Baptism is deeper than just enter water and come out. Why, why, why did, what did Jesus say? Till the end of age. You baptize till the end of age. You see? He says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Lo, I'm with you till the end of age. You don't stop the baptism process. That one of dipping it is in split seconds. You are done. You are being baptized. Being baptized. Till Jesus shows up. That is how he's able to save you unto the uttermost. Because you have not left the baptismal class. You are still being baptized. So he says, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. Amen. So let's go to Ephesians. Or let's go to Romans. Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. Put all these scriptures down and go and revisit them. Alright? Go and revisit them. Romans chapter 13. So you understand what it means to put on Christ. Remember, we went from baptism to teaching. Right? Then from teaching back to baptism, what it means to, to be baptized is to put on Christ. Because that's what teaching can do. It will help you to be a doer of the word. And not just hearer only. Alright, because you can hear and believe and not do. So you would have been like those Jews who believed but would not continue in the word and therefore would not be saved because they did not get free by the truth. Alright, do you understand that? Because he spoke to those who already believed. He said, if you continue in my word, then I am my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So uh, baptism is what bridges the gap between just believing and being saved unto the uttermost. Unto the uttermost. Romans chapter 13 and verse 14. Bible says, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember Galatians 3 says, as many as, as have been baptized have put on the Lord Jesus. What does it mean to put on? It says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust thereof. This is what it means to be baptized. To be baptized is to put on Christ. To put on Christ is to what? Make no provision for the flesh. And how you are able to do that is by teaching, by receiving teaching. And the inspiration of the Holy Ghost causing you to walk in the status of the Father. Through the Word of God. You see that? So put ye on the Lord Jesus and make not provision for the flesh. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. You begin to read from verse... Let's begin to read from verse 19. 
Because he was describing a certain type of people who were not in Christ. He says they have their, their past. He says they have their understanding darkened from verse 18. They have their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in, in them because of the blindness of their heart. Who being past feelings have given themselves over to unto lasciviousness and to work all kinds of uncleanness with greediness. You see the reason why there is a lot of corruption in Nigeria? A lot of people are not baptized. That's the problem. And a lot of Christians who say they believe are not baptized. So they enter into government offices and they will still be greedy. They have not been baptized. They say they are, they are Christians. They go to church. They give thanksgiving on top of corruption money. They are not baptized. Nobody taught them the word. They say they believe they are Christians. So they are looking for assistant, assistant uh, vice president now. They are look, uh, looking for a Christian vice president up and down now. They are looking for them. Because, ah, we can't present two Muslims. So we have to look for one Muslim, one Christian. They're looking for an unbaptized Christian. That's what they're looking for. Someone who will do their bidding. Because there are many Christians now. So it's not a matter of, oh, do, do you, do you, what do you claim? <laughs> if you don't claim Christianity, claim Islam. That's not the point. Are you baptized? Ask your neighbor, are you baptized? Are you baptized? They're not baptized. So there's still greed in their hearts. They're still stone. What they want to do is what they want to do. Give them three billion, they will Sometimes you, you, you undermine their capacity to embezzle until you hear what EFC is reporting. Ah, you can carry this kind of money. You can. You just say, let me even test them with 3 billion, boom. 20 billion, boom. 58 billion, boom. 92, ah! Is there a limit to what you can't embezzle? There's no limit. The Bible says hell is limitless. Hell is a bottomless pit. Throw everything inside, it will land. It's limitless. So when Christians begin to get into offices and begin to act out the righteousness of God in offices, that is when we'll see peace. So the Bible says, they walk all on cleanliness with greediness. But he have not so learned Christ. So you don't overcome greed by just believing Christ. You learn him. You learn Christ. He says, if so be that you have heard him and you have been taught by him, it's the teaching that gets you baptized. You have been taught by him. He says, even as the truth is in Jesus. So as he's teaching you, he's communicating truth to you because he is truth. Even as the truth is in Jesus, as you are hearing him and you are being taught by him, truth is entering inside you. And Bible says, it is that truth that sets you free. Truth. It makes you free. Free to do what? Free to say no to sin. That's what true freedom is. Titus 2.11. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all men. Teaching us to deny you can say no. That's true freedom. They give you $2 billion. Sign this check. Sign it. We'll give you 10% of it. 10% of $2 billion. $200 million. million. You've never seen $200,000 in your life. Someone says, sign this check and get $200 million just like that. And you can bless your church with tight of it, $20 million. Remember, they want, to do, they want to build. They want to move church. And then you begin to sacrifice. Say, ah, let, let, me, let me holify this corruption. Let me use tithes of this corrupt money to give to church so that God will protect me from EFCC. Ah, this is a good strategy. You understand? <laughs> Calculate on. Continue. Do you see? Continue. So, true freedom is ability to say no. They bring it to you say, <laughs> no, thank you. Freedom. It's freedom. Some people cannot have. Hey. Because me, ha! Ah, I can't. I can't resist. I can't resist. Ha! Ah, I'm finished. I can't resist. 
They can't say no. That is bondage. That is enslavement. They can't say no. I can't say no. Because grace is at work. Because the spirit is at work. Because I'm baptized through the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how you get baptized. It's the teachings of God's word. So when they say come to church, you so you can receive baptism. And not be in your room and be dancing once they're forever saved. No. Be baptized. Be baptized. So if you have been, if you have heard him and you have been taught by him, even as the truth is in Jesus. What did he reference again? He referenced the implication of baptism. He says that you put off concerning the former conversation. The old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and put ye on. Ha, yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So this is what it means to be baptized, to put on the Lord Jesus and make no provisions for the flesh. That's how to be baptized. Because you are taught by Jesus Christ. You have not so learned Christ. If so be that you have heard him and you have been taught by him, even as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitfulness of, of the lost. And he says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the Lord Jesus, or rather put on the new man, which after God, that is the new man is created after God, is in the exact image and likeness of God, which is your spirit man. So every time you allow your spirit to gain ascendancy in your life, that is you putting on the Lord Jesus. That is you putting on the Lord Jesus. I'm making no provision for the flesh. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. This is what it means to save you unto the uttermost. Imagine, imagine, imagine. Somebody, somebody leaves Kano. It comes to Oshun State. Or let, let me use an example I can relate to. It leaves Abuja or Calabar. That's what I used to do there, to visit my babe. Alright, I will travel to Oshun State. One day I wanted to surprise her. That's a surprise her. So I came all the way from Calabar. Is it Abuja or Calabar? I, don't remember. I think it's Abuja. I came. I didn't tell her I was coming. I got to Ife, Lagiri or something. I got to, you know, this Dudu Yemi University or something. So I now wanted to, I now wanted to just check up on her and see whether she was in her hostel. I now called her, say, oh, babe, how far are you doing? That was our one person. The Lord bless his heart. Just say, Lagere Ife, Lagere Ife. I say, you live, but we live, right? And my wife was hearing from over there. So he said, well, where are you? How can you say you're in Abuja when your wife is hearing Lagere Ife? So I couldn't say I'm still in Abuja. That's why I caught the call. I said, ah, network, network. I caught the call. <laughs> because, I mean, the whole thing has spoiled. As I came, she said, I knew you. I knew you. I said, oh, God, what's all this thing? Surprise! That would have been very nice. One person just get lagere. If it was, who sent you message? Eh? You should have just left her uncalled. Praise God. <laughs> Amen. I wish this again. <laughs> so next time, eh? Ensure that your surprise is not dependent on other people that you don't have control over. Else they will spoil it for you. Just know. All right. Colossians chapter two. Colossians chapter two. Colossians is just right after filling the gaps. Listen to this. Colossians chapter 2 from verse 6. Jesus speaking, or rather Paul speaking, he says, As you have therefore received Christ the Lord. Listen to this. It's very powerful. He says, So walk in him. I can test if you received him if you are not walking. 
if you are not walking, you didn't receive him. It is how you have received him you walk. If I can see that you are not walking, it's like your receiving is questionable. As you have received him, so walk in him. You can't say you have received him and you stay put. He's not a station. He's a way. He's not a bus stop. He's a way. You can't receive him and just stay put. You walk in the way. As you have received him, so walk in him. Because you receive the way. You don't receive him and then stay put and say, well, I've received a station. No. You receive the way. As you have received him, walk in him. And how do we know that you are walking in him? It says rooted and built up. You are rooted. And you are built up. Established in the faith. And as you have been taught. Hi. This teaching again. As you have been taught. Abounding daring. With thanksgiving. Abounding daring with thanksgiving. As you have been taught. So rooted and built up. And it's through this teaching. This same teaching. is this baptism. It roots you. It builds you. It roots you. It builds you. It roots you. It builds you. It is by the word of God. Acts 20, 32. I commend you unto God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among them that are sanctified. But you can't be built up until you are rooted. You can't be built up until you are rooted. Can you see a skyscraper without a deeper foundation? You must be rooted first. Rooted and built up. It is through teaching, through baptism. And we're going to round off in Romans chapter 8 again. Or Romans chapter 10. Because we begin to see, ah, this one is powerful. What I'm about to share with you is very profound. Did you hear that? You need to believe it with all your heart. Romans chapter 10. Are you with me? Olamide, are you with me? Praise God. You receive the teaching. You love sound doctrine. Some of you are already checking your time. I want to go and eat Indomie. Indomie. Eh? Listen to sound doctrine and leave. Hear doctrine and leave. Tell your neighbor, hear doctrine and leave. Ooh, glory to God. I'm about to break a, a, an age-long table. Eh? This table has been there. It's fat. Let me break it now. Tell your neighbor, pastor is going to break it now. Yes, I'm about to break it. Now, see, see what the Bible says. Remember, he's talking about salvation from Romans chapter 10 from verse 1. Romans chapter 10 verse 1. He's talking about salvation, especially the ones that the Jews have not received. <laughs> The ones that they thought they could get by just affiliation in terms of their heritage with Abraham. But Paul is praying that they will submit to the righteousness of God because they were not willing to receive that. Jesus did all the work. They just step into it by faith and continue to allow that faith, continue to walk in them so that they can do the works of righteousness. They didn't believe that. So said, no, 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 no. We don't need to believe some person to do the work for us. We can do this work by ourselves. And so Paul is saying that Christ is the end of the law. For every, or the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. For Moses describes the righteousness which is of the law. That the man which doeth these things shall live by them. That is the law. If you were going to choose the way of the law. You had to. Your justification had to be dependent on the full fulfillment of all the demands of the law. God cannot justify you by faith. Because you have chosen the path of the law. Because if you have chosen the path of the law. You must fulfill all the ceremonial and all the institutional laws. Everything. Thousands of them. Before you can be certified righteous. And it's an impossibility for the human flesh. Because the design of the law was not for fulfillment. It was as a schoolmaster to lead you. So that you can agree and say no. We can't do this in our flesh. Salvation is of the Lord. It was a schoolmaster to lead you unto Christ. Galatians 4 tells us that. Amen. 
So they chose that law, that part of the law. He says, but the man that doeth them shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith, speak it on this wise. Say not in your heart, who shall ascend unto the heaven that is to bring Christ down from above? Or who shall descend into the deep that is to bring up Christ again from the dead? But what saith it? The word is neither even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thy heart that the Lord hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. But how shall thou be saved? For with the heart man believes on the righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. This faith that is brokered when the teaching is going on. This is where we now find verse 17. He now begins to say that, so then, faith. Because, maybe we should just read the entire thing. Verse 11 says, for the scripture said, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in whom that they have not heard? And how shall they hear without the preacher? This is why God was insisting on Jonah. He couldn't get an angel to preach to Nineveh. He needed a man on earth to do the preaching. And of all the men he could find, the only person he really had a chance of success with was a reprobate Jonah. All right? And so he got a preacher to preach to them. And the Bible says, how shall they preach except they be sent? Have you been sent? Have you been sent? Where were you sent? Mark 16. Matthew 28. You were sent. Go ye into all the world. That means for you to be effective in preaching, you must at least be someone capable of teaching. Remember, if they believe and are baptized, they shall be saved. That means you can't get anybody saved until you yourself are a baptizer. Are you not blessed that you are in the baptizing church? You are blessed. You are in the baptizing church. So here, this is not, we don't, act, we don't do iribomi. Do you understand? We are not, that's not why we are baptizing church. We are baptizing church because this is what we are doing. We are teaching. For people to fulfill the demands of righteousness by grace, not by law. By grace, to fulfill the commandments, whatsoever he has commanded us. So the Bible says that, how shall they preach except they've been sent? And they've been sent. In Matthew 28, Mark 16, it says, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. Listen, he's talking about the gospel here. Oh. People will carry verse 17 and be using it to believe, confess, and Get things, claim and grab stuff. And say faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So you, you want to keep saying it and keep saying it for you to believe it. So he says in verse 16, they have not obeyed. For Isaiah said, who hath believed our report? He says, so then, faith, the faith to be saved comes by hearing. The faith to be baptized also comes by hearing. I'll let that just sink. Now, he's talking about the gospel here. Romans chapter 10, from verse 1 till this point, he's talking all about the gospel. That is, it is not enough to just say, I believe, because you heard once. You have not really been saved. If all you did is just hear once. Because if you stay at that place of believing, having heard, if Jesus comes, you'll be saved. But if you don't continue, you'll be drawn into perdition. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? So what keeps you saved is that you are being baptized. Because if you don't continue to be baptized, there is something called the deceitfulness of things, which its purpose in your life is to sway you away from the path of faith. So if you believe now, Jesus comes now, you get to heaven. But if you believe 10 years ago and you stopped to continue in him, for those 10 years, you stopped being in the faith. Because the deceitfulness of sin will sway you away from the path of faith. So he says, this gospel, it's not enough to hear it once. That is how you obey the gospel. Because the, the gospel is not just to be answered once and say, I believe. You obey the gospel by hearing and hearing. You see why I recommend that you listen to teachings. Minister Rachel already told us how to relax in this house. That's how we relax. Teachings. Teachings. So this is how you obey the gospel. He says this faith to stay on the path of the gospel. He says it comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Wow. Wow. This faith comes by hearing. So you heard to believe. You must continue to hear to be baptized. You heard to, be, to believe. You must continue to hear to be baptized. You can't say, now I believe. I don't need to continue to. You need to continue to hear to be baptized. Because they that believe and are baptized shall be saved. According to Jesus in Mark, Mark chapter 16 from verse 15. They that believe and are baptized. And we explained all there is to baptism. Do you remember the cord? That long streak. All right? You need to go listen to the teaching again. Because to be baptized is to be taught, teaching them to observe. And it is that teaching that will ensure that their heart will be converted from the heart of stone to the heart of flesh. Because somebody who is saved, who believes, still doesn't have the heart of flesh, his, his heart is still stony. God cannot use it to do his will. So the only hope that man has is to stay on the faith lane by receiving teachings and baptisms. And the evidence of that baptism is that you put on the Lord Jesus and you make no provision for the flesh. Because now you are clean from your filthiness, according to Ezekiel chapter 36. So if you are not receiving the teaching, you will be feel full of filth. And the reason why you are full of filth is because you have not received the teaching of the word. You, are, you only heard, you haven't heard, you didn't continue to hear in. <laughs> the Lord help me. You only heard. But this faith is receiving it by hearing and hearing is not having heard faith does not come by having heard it comes by hearing and hearing tell your neighbor hearing and hearing my voice is gone hearing and hearing by the word of god that's how you stay on the faith lane so the next time we have bible study let everybody be available because faith comes by hearing and hearing Hearing and hearing, not having heard. I've heard it before. So the next time you come to church and, you know, pastor is teaching, I, I've heard this thing before. <laughs> pastor, don't worry. Don't I've heard it. Uh, it's a sign that you're already drawing back. So the man of God is preaching. You are not writing. You're just, you know, I've heard this before. <laughs> you know, when we were listening to C.S. Lewis, when we were hearing and hearing. Proof that you heard it before is how excited you are to hear it again. That's proof that you heard it the first time. But if you get familiar, you never heard it the first time. Because the word of God is new every morning. New every morning. It's exciting. The Bible says it's sweeter than the honey and the honeycomb. Sweeter than the honey and the honeycomb. Praise the name of the Lord. 
So beyond his love attempt to save you, he went the farthest extent. He went nine yards to save you. And then having saved you, he goes the nine yards to keep you saved by baptizing you in his word. Let's bow our heads right now and just pray. And say, Lord, I receive grace to be baptized. Tell the Lord, I receive grace to be baptized. I receive grace to be baptized. Grace to be baptized. Grace to be baptized. In the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ. As I have received Christ Jesus the Lord, I walk in him. I walk in him. As I have received Christ Jesus the Lord, I walk in him. I make no provision for the flesh. I walk in him. I walk in him. I walk in him. I walk in him. All right? I walk in him. For in Jesus' precious name we pray. Hallelujah. Can we celebrate Jesus? Wow. What a word. For more messages, connect with our tribesmen across all social media platforms at Powerpoint Tribe.